so thankful to worship with you this morning. Um, one thing that we want to share with you is uh, every year, um, it seems like, uh, a lot of families or individuals will get their pictures uh, taken up here on the bench. And uh, usually it's either the Sunday right before Christmas or Christmas Eve service. Um, and so I just want to let you know, if you've been sitting there thinking like, that would be a great spot to take a picture, uh, you are welcome to do so. You can just come right up and have a seat and then... If you want to use your own phone or whatever, somebody can take a picture for you with your phone. Uh, you're welcome to do that anytime. Next Sunday, however, uh, we're going to see how this works. Right after service, Sunday morning, uh, we will have someone prepared to take some photos, um, kind of like what we did at Mother's around Mother's Day uh, over here in the fellowship hall. And so if you'd be interested in doing that, you can come dressed, ready to go, and have your picture taken. Um, or again, Christmas Eve service, we're going to try to see if we can have that available as well. So, but tomorrow, or tomorrow, next Sunday morning, uh, right after service, if you'd like to do that, you're welcome to do that. And that'll be again right after service service. And again, uh, just for you to be a part of that would be a great uh, encouragement to you. Um, also want to let you know something I, I meant to mention that was presented to me as a great idea. And it's going to start technically January 7th. Um, it's relatively informal, so it's not super structured just yet. And it probably will stay relatively inf informal. Um, in the lobby, uh, starting January 7th, around 8.45, 8.30, uh, someone approached me and said, hey, could we just have maybe some time where if somebody wants to come a little early and just kind of read some scripture, um, there's not going to be a devotion per se or a message or anything like that, but just a time out here in the lobby, kind of just to spend some time maybe reading through scripture, uh, just a small group of people coming together, whatever it might look like, um, and just kind of preparing hearts and minds for the coming message and the coming service and all of that. And so uh, January 7th, um, and we'll give you more information as we get a little closer, um, and this is kind of let you know it's coming. Uh, it'll be available out here in the lobby where if you'd like to come a little early, 8.30, 8.45, and maybe just read some scripture together with some other individuals, uh, you'd be welcome to do so. So we'll tell you more about that soon. But again, January 7th, don't miss out on that if you'd like to come a little bit early uh, before Connection Cafe even, and kind of as that's getting prepped, then that'll be available out here in the lobby. All right. So excited for this morning. Morning. So excited that you're with us today. Uh, we are in week three of our four-week series, Let Christmas Be Christmas. And I hope that you are excited for next Sunday, next Monday, uh, getting into Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, as Pastor Greg said, I understand and we all know that for some it's difficult during the holidays with the loss of a loved one. So We've, we're praying for you. We're lifting you up in prayer for those that are, this is a difficult season, but I pray that even in the midst of that difficulty, that you're keeping your eyes on him, that you're seeking to, to look to him and to allow his peace to rule and reign in your heart and mind during this season. Uh, I know it can be difficult, but he can give you that peace and that comfort that only he can bring, that we can even have joy even in the midst of that difficult season. As we've been going through this series now, again, the third week, We've had kind of a goal in mind that I always want to make sure we remind ourselves of what's the goal, what's the kind of the desired outcome from this series. And our goal during this series is to help all of us realize that we don't have to fall prey to the seasonal stress and tension our culture experiences during this time of year. And we have established so far in this series that we don't have to give into the craziness of Christmas we pause to evaluate our response to Christmas, and this morning, I want us to continue to think about how can we prepare our hearts and minds for the coming celebration by thinking about the aroma of Christmas. 
the aroma of Christmas. Now, if you'd like to take notes, you can do that on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. You can download that, and, and there's notes available on there to fill in, just a simple little outline. If you'd like to do that, you can go to uh, messages, or I'm sorry, media, aroma of Christmas, the aroma of Christmas. And for five, so we're going to start in Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, either on device or in print, there's Bibles available right there in the seats around you. Please feel free to grab one of those and use one of those. If you would like to use one of those Bibles, you can just turn to page 503. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 503, Isaiah chapter 25. We're just going to read a couple verses here from the prophet Isaiah. Now, obviously we know, as uh, Margie already read a passage from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah prophesied much of the coming Messiah. But not just about the coming Messiah, but also about what the Messiah would bring and what the Messiah would provide. And so we see a glimpse of this again in Isaiah 25. Look at verse 6. So Isaiah 25 and verse 6. Isaiah says this, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. And I love this passage in Isaiah, and I want to kind of walk through this morning talking about this idea of the aroma of the feast that is this Christmas season, this Christmas celebration. But would we pray together and ask the Lord to give us wisdom? I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom in this understand, in the understanding of his word. Father, We thank you for this morning, Lord, and we pray that as only you can, by the moving and working of your spirit, that you would open up our hearts and minds to the understanding of your word. Father, help me to not get in your way this morning. Would you give me clarity of mind? Would you help me to focus in on who you are? Would you help all of us to have open hearts and minds to receive what you have for us? Father, I I know that sometimes it's easy to come into church And just kind of go through the motions. I pray that we've already engaged you in worship. As we sing praises to you for your coming all those years ago. As we've given an offering and an act of worship for you. To you. And for your work here in this community. And the world around us. As we've fellowshiped together Lord as the body of Christ. And we've given hugs and and shook hands and and talked about things through the week and just tried to be an encouragement to one another this morning. And Lord, what a vital part of the local body of Christ to be an encouragement in our fellowship one with another. It's so important. But Lord, everything we've done is an act of worship. And even now, as we open your word and we desire to understand more of what you'd have for us, I pray that we would do it with an open heart, worshiping you and you alone. May you draw us to an understanding and a wisdom that only you can provide. And again, Lord, give me clarity of mind. Help me not to get in the way of what you want to do this morning. But would you speak as only you can. And Father, we'll give you all the praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here, this text is a feast that Isaiah is describing. And it demonstrates the gospel. 
So this feast that's being described here is a demonstration, an illustration of the gospel. You see, Isaiah is prophesying about the coming new covenant that God would establish with his people. And this covenant is described here not only in its arrival, but ultimately in its fulfillment, in its culmination. That, that we begin to see it start to be fulfilled, in a sense, with the coming of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we know when we leave this world, we will be in his presence. And in a future understanding, we will come to a greater fulfillment of this covenant, that we will celebrate a feast. Now, this side of heaven, I believe we can get a, a taste test of this feast. We can start to see a sampling of what this feast can be and what it should be in our lives today. You see here, he talks about the fact that the heavenly host, that the Lord of the heavenly host will proclaim this feast, that this, this coming gospel. Remember, it is the heavenly host that declare to the shepherds that Jesus has been born and is lying in a manger. Je Jesus tells us in the gospels, all are welcome to attend this great feast. That's an amazing invitation that anyone can come to the feast. Anyone can sit at the table, but there's only one requirement to come to the feast. We must humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and trust in Jesus Christ. And anyone, no matter what you've done, where you've been, no matter how good you think you are or how bad you know you are, it doesn't matter if you come to Christ and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. I place my faith and trust in you and you alone. You have a seat at the table. Amen? You see, you don't get your seat at the table because you're good enough. You don't get your seat at the table because you paid the ticket price. You get a seat at the table because the ticket was paid for you. The invitation was offered by the one who died in your stead that you might come and enjoy the feast and the celebration worshiping him. And so often we think we have to do something to get to the table. We got to just get good enough and be good enough. We're going to talk about this morning. You can never do it on your own. The only way we have a seat at the table is through Christ. We need to note in Isaiah 25 here the type of feast that's being described. Now, we understand Isaiah is speaking to his understanding of what a great feast looks like. I'm not saying definitively that, that these things and certain foods and things like that will be in heaven. I, I don't know that. I hope there's bacon, but I don't know if there'll be bacon. I'm not sure. Maybe some brisket. I don't know. But what we do know is what Isaiah is doing here is he's giving us a word picture. He wants us to understand this glorious feast. Now, we should understand, and we talked about this in our men's Bible study back in the fall, that in Jewish culture and Hebrew writing, a lot of times it's different than what we would say and, and how we would think. And what I mean by that is this. We think very kind of black-white a lot of times. We want factual information. But in Hebrew writing, it's more descriptive. There's an idea behind Hebrew writing that wants us to not only hear the words, but, but experience what's being talked about there. A good example is, what does the psalmist say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I just heard another speaker say recently that, that we should consume the word of God, that we should partake of it and, and basically eat the word of God in a sense of we are enjoying it and we are engaging it and we're taking it within us. And see, Hebrew writing, there's more than just giving us facts of information. There's some of that. But there's also this beautiful description of how to experience these things for ourselves. So what's Isaiah doing here? He's saying it's a feast that's so glorious. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Christmas, I can almost 
think back to memories and those memories have smells attached with them and, and feelings and emotions. Now, some of you grew up in a situation where it wasn't good feelings or, or good emotions. And I understand that. I've shared before, we didn't grow up in a great home and my Christmases weren't always great. But there was these moments, though, these little snapshots of my childhood where God graciously gave us opportunity where, where maybe five or six Christmases in a row were, were horrible. And my, my, my mom battled with a lot of addiction and, and there was a lot of other things going on in the home and we weren't a Christian home. And so there was a lot of things there. But I can remember back when I was a kid and just that, that wonder, that innocence of Christmas and the smells of baked goods and, and all those things that we can remember. That's what Isaiah wants us to do with the gospel. To not just think about, okay, this factual information about he died for us, he was buried, he rose again, I'm going to heaven if I believe in Christ. And it's all true. But there should be something fuller to this understanding. And that's what Isaiah wants us to do. A glass of lukewarm water in a cracker. That's the idea. It's not this, this ridiculous, simple, basic, not very pleasant, not very appealing meal. It's a glorious feast. His gospel is glorious. And because the gospel is glorious, it is worth celebrating. You see, along with this feast... He also says in Isaiah, he will take away the veil off of all nations. This shows us that as Paul says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The veil has been torn when Jesus gave up his last breath. The veil was ripped into opening up an invitation to all who would come to have access and presence with the father. You see, Isaiah hints at it here, but Paul again tells us this in Corinthians, that Jesus Christ swallowed up death. Death has no victory. Death has no sting. When we die, it is not. That's all there is. When we die, if we are in Christ, we are ushered into the very presence of God. We are in the joy of the Lord, and we will celebrate him forever. You see, death was swallowed up. There is no victory in death. Jesus has the victory This veil being taken off all the nations is also affirmed when Jesus gives us the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? Go into all nations. Remember, nations is not meaning Italy, France, Germany, Spain. Those are nations. But when the Bible says nations, it's meaning family groups, people groups, language groups. How is it that we can go as followers of Christ into all the world and preach the gospel and know for a fact that God will bring about eternal fruit from that gospel? How do we know that? Because he's told us when Christ comes, he will remove the veil. And now human beings, by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, will be able to come to Christ because Jesus has the victory. This world does not have the victory. Satan does not have the victory. Our flesh does not have the victory. Jesus has the victory. And he's taken the veil away. And now anyone... What a beautiful gift. Anyone can believe. Anyone can come to Christ if they will repent of their sins and trust him. You see, another goal we have in this series that we desire to apply to our lives as we continue to celebrate Christmas is that we will magnify the name of Christ above all things. You see, we celebrate Christmas not because of a gift we receive Or the so-called magic of Christmas. I I hear that every Christmas. Oh, the magic of Christmas. The the magic of the season. Christmas has nothing to do with anything magical. It has everything to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Period. End. Stop. Done. And I was just talking to somebody before service today that it just has been an irritation of mind. As I've seen, and I understand it's all good. Every family has their traditions. I'm all for that. You do your thing. And 
and honor God as, as you see fit. Of course, we want to encourage that. But I've seen so many churches. I'm not talking about family units that are unique and do their own thing. That's fine. And I'm not, I would never overstep that. I believe every family that's a follower of Christ, the family that's in Christ, should honor Christ first above all things. But every family has their traditions. But I've seen so many bodies of Christ, churches at Christmas time, inviting in all these worldly understandings of Christmas. And if there's ever a time in our culture where the body of Christ can proclaim the gospel of Christ in a clear way because everybody in the culture is, is relatively okay with it, it's Christmas. You know, I'm amazed that churches, in an effort they believe to reach people so-called for the gospel, will invite Christmas songs into the church that have nothing to do with Jesus. And again, I don't, you listen to what you listen to in your car. You listen to what you want to listen to at home. You watch what you want to watch at home. That's between you and the Lord. I don't hold an account for that over you. But in the church, when we're talking about the body of Christ, we're here to elevate and magnify one name. And that's Jesus Christ. Christmas is not about celebrating the magic of the season. Christmas come to rescue us from our sin. You see, Christmas is about Christ. God in the flesh came to us and dwelled among us. He lived a sinless life and died on a sinner's cross, rising again. And all who place their faith in Christ will receive the most precious and most desperately needed gift of all time, salvation, forgiveness from our sins, eternal life. This message is the true message of Christmas and it's offered to all mankind. So as we are celebrating this time of year. I want to ask you, what is, what is your celebrations smell like? I know it's weird to say it that way. But what's the aroma of your celebrations? What's the aroma of your time together with family and friends? How can we prepare to celebrate this great feast that's laid before us, this great and glorious gospel in the coming of Christ? Just a forewarning, that was the introduction. Amen? It is what it is, okay? Buckle up. Here we go. So how do we prepare for this great and glorious feast? How do we, as followers of Christ, have our hearts and our minds in tune with what we could, how we rather can in tune our minds to the things of Christ this season? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is we clean up with joy not to make ourselves ready and worthy. We clean up with joy not to make ourselves merely ready or worthy. What do I mean by that? We clean up with joy. When you are preparing to have family over and friends for a banquet or a dinner, what is your attitude as you're preparing for that banquet? As that dinner is approaching, what's your attitude as you're getting ready? Now, I know if you're like most people, you're thinking about, I got to clean everything. Everything. Like some of you are like baseboard cleaners. You're like, somebody might see the baseboard. We got to clean it. I said a couple weeks, that's me. I, I met my faults. I'm like, oh, I got to clean that and clean that and clean that. And Sandra's like, it's family. And I'm like, I know, but look at this place. She's like, it's fine. I'm like, it's not fine. There's dirt down there. We got to clean that. She's like, would you calm down? I was like, I'll calm down when it's clean. <laughs> and then I walk away and I'm going, I know, Lord. I know. I know. Help mate. She's always there to kind of pull me out of my lunacy. So how do we prepare for these dinners? How should we prepare for the coming Christ? Well, I believe we prepare with joy. We're not trying to make ourselves worthy of the dinner. 
because we're not worthy to attend the dinner. We're merely extended the gift of grace. You see, our preparation should be an attitude of joy, excitement, and anticipation. Preparation should not include weeks of meditation on how you are not worthy to go to the banquet. Of course, we're not worthy, and that's the whole point of grace. See, we prepare with joy. We make our minds and our hearts ready. Because this meal that we're talking about, this glorious feast in Isaiah 25, is a meal of joy. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, many of us have memorized this verse, but if you're like me, it's harder to apply it than it is to memorize it. Amen? Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, that's just not at Christmas time. That's just not at your birthday or someone else's celebration or a certain thing you have going on. You don't just rejoice when things are going good. Paul says you rejoice in the Lord always. There's no asterisk there next to always. Some of you looked in your study Bible, like, can I get an out here? Is there a commentary that says always doesn't really mean always? No, it means always. In all things. How can I possibly rejoice in all things? Because we serve a God that uses all things for our good and his glory. I rejoice because even in trials, he is conforming and refining me into the image of Christ for his glory. Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good. And then we try to define the good. Well, maybe the good is the promotion. Maybe good is the restoration of a relationship. Maybe good is this or good is that. Paul tells us what good is. Good, you may not get the promotion. That relationship may not work out the way you want it to. Whatever's going on may go different than you can possibly imagine. And if you're in Christ, you look to me and say, Lord, I trust you. I rejoice in you because you are enough. You are all I need. We rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, rejoice. You see, as we prepare for the celebrating of Christmas next weekend, we prepare for a meal of joy. Because honestly, the whole Christian life is a glorious rejoicing. God, in his grace, lays before us a feast beyond compare. And we don't see it oftentimes because we're focused with heads down on the things of this world. We are desperately searching for crumbs instead of enjoying his marvelous provision. Daily, we are reminded that we are created for something more. But it is at Christmas, it seems, that it is made even more clear to us. Again, why did Christ come? That we might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10 10. This is true in this life and fulfilled fully in the life to come. Why can we rejoice? How can we have this joyful attitude? Because we in Christ are living the abundant life that has nothing to do with your bank account, what's in your driveway, or what you're living in. Let me say that again in case you missed that. Because on TV, you'll hear something different. On YouTube, you'll hear something different. And it preaches and people fill churches, churches in quotations. The abundant life has nothing to do with what's in your checking account, what's in your driveway, or what you live in. It has everything to do with enjoying the presence of your Savior day in and day out through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you find joy because you have a relationship with the Father who was once your enemy, but now your Heavenly Father. That's the abundant life. And one day, we'll take a step into his kingdom, into his presence, and we will see him and we will be like him, John says. And we'll see the fulfillment of this glorious celebration. I love what C.S. Lewis said, and of course he said it perfectly. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, 
the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you look at this world and you go, it's just something missing. I just can't feel satisfied. I don't feel fulfilled. I have all these great blessings and I love it all. I'm so thankful for my family, my friends, my church, all that God has done for me. I'm thankful. It's not like I'm walking around with my head down going, God, make it better. I love my life. I've met Christians who say, everything is so good. God is so good. But I feel like there's just something missing. It's just not as satisfying. I think that's a very healthy experience because it longs for us or it pulls rather at a longing in us to say there's something more than this because we weren't made for just this and we were made to be in his presence. You see, when we stop thinking the crumbs of this life is all there is, we can then celebrate Christmas as Christians. We enjoy the season without grieving the spirit. We enjoy the season without grieving the spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, at this time of year, as we think about celebrating and all these beautiful things that come with Christmas, we also see the materialism and the consumerism. It's all around us, right? It's all about getting the newest thing, the best thing, spending as much as you can on someone to somehow validate that you really care for them when it really has nothing to do with what you spent on the gift, everything to do with why you gave the gift how you give the gift, but it's all around us and it can overwhelm us and it can drive us absolutely crazy to see the materialism and the consumerism. And so many Christians go, I don't want any of it. I'm just going to walk away from all of it and isolate away from it. Well, that's not the solution. You see, a common misconception is that to really prepare for Christmas and enjoy the season, we have to be a monk in a monastery, isolated from the world, disconnected from all these things. And that's not what God calls us to. Rather, we can celebrate like followers of Christ with a joy, and if we're being honest, a joy that only those in Christ can experience this time of year. You see, those apart from Christ cannot have the joy, the true joy of the season, like followers of Christ can, because they have not connected with the baby in the manger. They're not engaged in a relationship with that child who is now our risen Savior. And that's why I truly believe that's why at Christmas time, there's so many other things that the world tries to make it about because they don't connect with Christ. And because they don't have that connection, there's something missing for them. So we've got to make it about something else and put the emphasis on someone else or something else or some other experience. But as followers of Christ, we can enjoy the season in a full and deeper way than anyone else. Are we better than anyone else? Of course not. We merely know the one who was born on Christmas Day. So what do I mean by celebrating as Christians? Well, we enjoy the food of the season. We enjoy the eggnog. Any eggnog fans? Who likes eggnog? How many of you are like me and buy the cheap stuff from Kroger? Come on. Amen. Okay. Josiah's down here in the front, two hands. He's like, please, we'll get some probably later today, but okay, we'll hook it up. So we'll be good. Josiah is my, he's the only other one in the house that drinks eggnog. Anthony and Sandra don't drink eggnog. So there's oftentimes I'll go to get some and I'm like, hmm, Josiah got to this first. (laughs) But enjoy it. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the eggnog. Enjoy the fudge. Anyone like that Christmas fudge? Amen. Okay. Some of you guys are not putting your hand up. You need to have some fun this Christmas, dude. (laughs) Have something. Cookies? Anyone like cookies? Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. But we can enjoy all these things. So often we think we have to isolate from all these things. No, no, no. We can celebrate the season as Christians 
and yet not grieve the Holy Spirit in overindulgence or forgetting why we were invited to partake in the feast in the first place. That it's a celebration of grace. A besetting sin that is very common among believers is that sin resides in the stuff. But it doesn't. Sin resides in the heart of mankind. I like what, and I don't agree with everything he's ever said, but I do like one quote by Douglas Wilson. He said this, and I thought this was perfect. If someone is filled with much wine or much prune juice, it's a problem. (laughs) The problem isn't the wine or the prune juice. The problem is the heart. So often we think that I got to avoid all the stuff of the season. And whatever your personal convictions are, follow the Lord on that. If you have a conviction to not engage in certain Christmas traditions that you deem as not honoring to the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. But don't project to someone else that to be a follower of Christ, you have to avoid all these things. Because we can enjoy these things within the confines. Mark, you can jot it down for note's sake. Mark, I believe it's in the outline on the app. Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 22. Jesus makes it very clear that... That the sin, that what defiles a man doesn't go into a man, but comes out of the heart of a man. It doesn't, it's not sinful. And the, the Pharisees were saying this to Jesus. Well, they're doing this and doing this. He's like, hey, hey, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart that's already defiled you. What was Jesus' point? You're already defiled in your sin. And what you do externally just magnifies what's already broken inside of you. But in Christ, as he begins to work in us and conform us to the image of his, himself, and, and the Father begins to work in us and the Spirit works in us, we can project out of us a Christ-likeness in all the celebrations and in all the stuff. And again, not grieving the Holy Spirit and overindulgence, because many people hear that and go, oh, cool, I can do whatever I want. I can just eat that and drink that, and it's all good, because, hey, no worries, grace. No. You see, the line here needs to be understood that It does not mean that we can do whatever we want because the Bible also teaches us to exercise discernment and use wisdom. We don't use grace as an excuse to license to sin. However, when our hearts are fixed on Christ, the spirit is within us. We will be led to rejoice in the day-to-day things of the season. So we celebrate Christmas like Christians. We enjoy the things that God has put before us, the wonderful times of celebration where we are guarded against grieving the spirit. You see, it is in the stuff that we imprint our godliness or our ungodliness. We live as Jesus did in the material world. So rather than avoid the stuff, the Lord desires to see us and use us to make an imprint of our godliness on the fudge, on the wrapping of the presents, on the buying of the presents, which you should have had done by now. Just saying. Anyone not done with Christmas shopping yet? Anyone not done? Okay, I see those hands. Amen. Amen. Praying for you. Praying for you. God bless you. I'm going to pray Amazon picks it up a little bit. Amen. Let's get that two day down to one day. Amen. But what do we do with our Christ likeness? We imprint it on the things of celebration. We let our walk with the Lord translate to how we give gifts. We let our walk with the Lord imprint on how we enjoy that meal with the family, how we interact with others this season, how we speak to them, how we interact with that cashier at the store, 
how we interact with that person serving us in the food industry, whether it be a waitress or whatever it may be. How we act and interact with those individuals imprints on the season and on the celebrations our Christ-likeness, which is ultimately not for our glory, but whose? The Lord's glory. I want to pause here and just share quickly an applicational point. You and I can make a huge impact for Christ when we are merely kind to those serving in retail. When we are merely kind to those serving in the food industry. And our kindness is not, as stated earlier, done in any idea of celebrating this modern or cultural understanding of Christmas. But it is done through the Spirit of God in Christ. So here's what I mean by that, Christian. How do we celebrate Christmas as Christians? Well, when you go to the store and there's a long line. And the person behind the counter is visibly stressed. Maybe instead of complaining that it spent 10 or 15 extra minutes in your day, that you stop as you're standing in line, you say, Lord, I'm going to ask that you would just be with this person. I'm going to ask you to comfort them and guide them. And and I pray they would know that they're appreciated. Maybe when you get up to that register, you just are kind to the person. I only worked in retail for a short time, but I had many experiences where people were just nasty and rude one girl, she was a cashier in line, was backed up so far, so many people in line. And somebody back in the line was just saying the most ridiculous stuff to this girl. 20-year-olds walking up, I heard something. I'm like, what's this guy's problem? And so she, she I just need to use the restroom. Okay. You know why she went to the restroom, right? Because she was bawling her eyes out. Because this guy had to wait five extra minutes. Heaven forbid you're inconvenienced because someone else is busy. And do you see how we got to be so guarded? So you got to wait a few extra minutes because there's traffic. Express the joy of Christ in that moment. Lord, how can I make an imprint for you right now? Not complain about how this is an inconvenience for me. And by the way, I'm saying this to me as much as I'm saying it to you because the Lord always is working on me in this area. So we imprint our godliness, which is just our desire to reflect Christ on the season, on the gifts, on the food, on the celebration. When we think of Christmas, our minds should be filled with not only the words of the amazing carols that we sing, but the feeling of unwrapping that gift, the feeling of the paper in your hands, or the generous amounts of scotch tape that people use. (laughs) Pray for them. I'm one of them. I find it joyful to watch them struggle. (laughs) It's a sickness, I know. Pray for your preacher. But think about those things, those celebrations, those times together, the sound of the paper being ripped and torn, or if you're crazy, folded and put neatly off to the side, because we got to save that. Those who laugh just now do this. You're also hoarding gift bags and tissue paper. It's weird. It's tissue paper. It's like 10 cents. Stop it. I'm just kidding. We do it too. I'm just kidding. I don't keep wrapping paper though. That's weird. But as you think about this season, let those thoughts and feelings and and walking into a home and smelling the meal. Maybe it's the ham coming out of the oven. Maybe it's the, the bread that's being made. Maybe it's the dessert that's being made. Whatever it is. And so how do we do that practically when we walk in the home? Well, we've prepared ourselves. When we're making the meal, we're not complaining. We're thanking the Lord for an opportunity to celebrate with family and friends. When we're buying that present and wrapping that present, we're not complaining. We're excited to see the joy on their face when they open that 
and we get to express the gift of grace to them. You see, nothing is better than celebrating Christmas with an attitude of joy. And again, I understand there's difficulties that we all face and it's a battle some days, but I promise you, if you will set your fix or rather set your eyes upon him, fix your gaze upon the Lord, it's not going to be easy overnight, but he will lift your spirits. If we will set our fit and fix our eyes on him and say, Lord, you need to guide me through this. I want us to dwell in this idea of the feast of God's glorious gospel. I want us to think about the fact that I can, I can take this and I can enjoy it and I can celebrate it. I'm not going to worry about going too far. Again, understanding the confines of the Holy Spirit and the direction he gives. But I mean, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to celebrate it. We're not going to kind of refrain from celebration. Because here's the question I would ask you. When the world was in sin and error pining, did God give us a teaspoon of grace to make our dungeon a little more pleasant? No. He extended an extravagant, overzealous, just a crazy feast to us. So because he extended extravagant grace to us, we can worship through overwhelming joy and the grace of God this morning. Would you pray with me as you bow your heads there where you are? I want to invite you to begin to seek the Lord this morning and ask him, Lord, would you make this season new again? Would you help me to enjoy and celebrate the wonder of the season? That there would be an aroma about our celebration that would be that of an offering of praise and lifting up the amazing grace. Maybe you'd like to come forward and pray and, and say, Lord, would you help me to have the right attitude this Christmas, to, to have joy, to celebrate to praise and to allow you to imprint your likeness on things of the season. Lord, I, I, maybe you're here and you would say, Lord, I, I know I get frustrated and I get discouraged or I get impatient this time of year. And if that's you, maybe you would come and pray and say, Lord, help me to have the right attitude this year where I can make an impact for Christ, even in the little things. Maybe you're here today, and as you continue to pray, you would say to the Lord this morning as a prayer that you're going to see some unsaved family over the next couple of weeks, maybe around the meal table, maybe at a gift exchange. You know they don't know Christ. Maybe you would pray now, Lord, would you give me wisdom? Would you guide my conversations? Would you help me to say what needs to be said with a boldness and a clarity that your gospel would go forth, that I wouldn't be afraid of offending because my love for them is greater than the fear of offense. That I would rather offend them and they know the truth than placate to them or coddle them and they die in their sin, separated from Christ. Lord, help us to risk offense this season Help us to not be offensive, but to risk the offense of speaking the truth in love, the glorious gospel that is, invited, that is open to anyone. Everyone is invited. Lord, that story in your gospel, one of the most amazing things when you send out the servant to call people in to be a part of this meal, what's amazing is those first guests turned you down. 
didn't want anything to do with it, were too busy, consumed with daily life, consumed with worldly cares. So Lord, I pray that you'd help those here today, maybe those watching online, to respond to this invitation, to not put it off, to not think they got all the time in the world, but Lord, that they would see their sin know that they're not connected to Christ, know that they've never repented of their sins and trusted Christ, but that they would repent, which just means to turn from their sin, receive the free gift of salvation you offer, put their faith and trust in you and you alone, and surrender to you and your authority as Lord of their life. Lord, would you help them to respond to the invitation in a positive way, by faith, receiving your grace? And Lord, for the believers today, would you help us to make an imprint on the season for you, that this community would be shaken by the gospel. Lives would be changed, even if it's one life, our life, as our heart turns from complaint to praise. Would you be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of praise? However the Lord is leading you to respond, maybe there in your seats, if you'd like to come forward and pray, whatever God is doing, would you respond as we worship the Lord this morning?